welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we assemble more X-Men teams, move up Wonder Woman, check in with Wildstorm, and find out why the Batman laughs. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm David. What? What? No, no. Go go ahead. Go ahead. It's it's already passed. This is like that moment where we're like we're walking towards each other on the the sidewalk, and one of us has to go left, one of us has to go right, and we just do this little dance back and forth. And it's and, super uh, awkward for everyone. It is. And, and then, you know, we pass, we go on our with our lives, we all get married, have children, maybe die, and then the heat death of the universe happens, and it's just great. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, hey, David, how you doing? Hey, so I'm David. That's Nick. You are the listening audience, and this is the show where we talk about the latest news revolving around the comic book industry, and that, of course, means the movies as well, and we talk about the books that come out, and I really got to write out this kind of intro part because it's not very succinct. I'm trying to like get something. I feel like you've covered all the bases, though. I mean, you left out there's comic book-related TV shows now. There are, uh, yes. And I think there's important. even comic book-related music, though maybe mm-hmm. not as mainstream as, say, like Harry and the Potters and other pop culture-themed band-type music. What the crap? Do you remember Harry and the Potters or Draco's and the Malfoys or the Remus Lupins or any? <clears throat> did, did, you, did I? Was I the only one? Did I? Okay. Nick, Never mind. These, Nick, Nick, did you make these up? No, I... Are you okay? I'm not a Harry Potter nerd. Like I, I know plenty of them though. But are you telling me that you did not know that there is a Harry Potter rock scene? No, because I am a normal human being. That is judgmental. Yep. But Let's also, just... like, I'm just, I'm partial. I'm surprised that, that you Google... don't even know them in passing. Like, granted, I have not listened to them in years, but they exist. We I are. They still exist. I Googling feel like they'd all be Harry and the Potters. Let's see, Harry and the Potters, a fever dream of Nick Shermooksness. What? No, I swear to okay, God. Okay, here's why you've heard of them, because why? they formed in Massachusetts. What? I? That has nothing to do with it. That is presumptuous. I learned about them through various Harry Potter aficionados in okay, my past. Okay, so they are still allegedly a band. Allegedly. Allegedly. There is also Draco and the Malfoys. I will give you that. that... There's the Remus Lupins. They might. No, nope, I, I don't know. think I think I think you're making this up. No, I am not. The Remus Lupins exist. Listen, listen. They still have a MySpace page, and that's Google recognizes them. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, hey, but you know, Draco and the Malfoys. For all of you people who were broken up by the 2011 disbanding of Draco and the Malfoys, they got back together in 2013, and are also still doing this. Man, there's times where I look at this and I'm like, at least I'm not those guys. You mean at least you're not a semi-successful Whoa. niche band okay. based on an incredibly popular property really... that's made billions think... of dollars? Look. Are you saying you're good, glad you're not those people? Good for these guys, but calling them semi-successful, I think, is a stretch hey. of the word successful. And That's why I added semi. The semi in there. And <laughs> it's a stretch of semi. Trucks. Well, 
There you have it, folks. For those that did not know, there is a genre I'm, of music I'm sorry. called wizard rock. <laughs> For those who did not David know, David is incredibly judgmental about. But because you know I, what? this is like, you know, I'm a nerd, but this is the kind of thing that makes me just go nerds, and like that, I want to give these guys a wedgie. That that is seems slightly unfair, given that we are two guys sitting in our rooms recording a podcast about comic books. Yeah. And these guys make me want to turn into a 80s stereotypical high school bully. So weird thing that you might want to turn into, David, but we all have our fantasies. Look, so I, I have never finished an 80s movie, but I'm pretty sure they always get the girl. The bullies? Yeah. No, that's like the opposite of what happens in all Like of I said, movies. I've never finished any of them. So I'm just going off of like the first you know, hour and 10 minutes in which things seem to go pretty well for them. You know what does go very well in this show, though? Talking about the news. That you tried to give me crap in the past. Your segues are so terrible. You might well, as well have said, uh, yeah. "But news time now, please." My programming was not made for successful segues in human conversation. Someone forgot to take their anti-cranky pills. Yeah, it's you most days. <laughs> anyway. Here's the news. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, you guys are all aware there's about 45 X-Men teams currently running around the Marvel Universe. Well, there's going to be one more. Marvel has released information on X-Men Red, and they tease another fan-favorite member. This is a group that is being uh, led. That's the word I was trying to think of there. Uh, led by Jean Grey, and they will include the all-new Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Wolverine's sister, Gabby. I have questions. Uh, Wakandan mutant, gentle, Namor the Submariner. The Submariner, Sub- sorry. Submariner. Submariner, the Submariner. <laughs> the Submarinator. Oh, the my sub-marinator. gosh, why isn't that a thing? Namor the Submarinator. Put that down for the episode title, David. Put it down. Uh, and a new hero, Trinity, which I'm glad I took a second to reread because I almost said Trinity. Uh, they also got one more fan favorite hero joining the team in the first arc, said X-Men group editor Mark Panacea. As Threat of Escalates, Jean needs to build a highly specialized team, not just those she trusts, but allies who can survive the oncoming storm, probably involving the Phoenix Force. Because of Jean Grey's involved, it's, it's going to come up in the first five issues. Uh, well, here. What? Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. my question. Okay. Wolverine has a sister? Y- yeah. Yeah. So, and just to note, the writer of X Men Red is Tom Taylor, who's been writing the uh, critically acclaimed all new Wolverine series for Marvel, starring Laura Kinney as the new all new Wolverine. Uh, and in there, you find out that there's other X 23 clones, and one of them is named Gabby, and oh, so on that, and so forth. And that Wolverine. That not not Logan Wolverine, Laura Wolverine, Laura Wolverine, Laverine, Lava. Nope, you lost it. Keep moving. Keep moving. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, So those for that that don't know, uh, because it hasn't technically happened yet, maybe uh, next week I think. uh, Jean Grey, the original adult Jean Grey, I know that's confusing, uh, is being resurrected (laughs) in uh, Phoenix Resurrection, an upcoming Marvel Uh, miniseries. Talking about the X Men. Just it's hard. The, the X Men family. It's like 
It's like looking at a a family tree of people who have not left the backwoods of Tennessee for a, several generations. If a family tree was sentient and then could also take LSD, that would be the family and tree. And spiraled of upon so just itself. Like the events, the life events of X Men is. And spiraled upon itself to the inevitable heat death of the universe. Yes, I think we have a theme going this episode. Yes. I like it. Um, Entropy. Yeah. So, the, those that don't know, the adult Jean Grey is coming back. What that means is there's also a teen Jean Grey that's been running around the, the last worst. few years. This is, the, I feel like I Nova. Feel like, wait, there's no way to talk about this book without constantly spiraling because you because con- like someone's going to be listening. We're, we're going to feel like I feel like I need to fill them in on this little detail over here just so that this all makes sense. You I know feel what? like Nova. We're going to condense it. I feel like Nova on the issue when he came back where Scott, teen Scott, is explaining what happened to adult Scott. And he's like, I hate everything about that sentence. (laughs) That is is true. That is good. Uh, At the end of the day, all people need to know is that a Jean Grey is assembling a team of mutants to fight high-level threats. Just basically like every X-Men book ever. But Tom Taylor is a good writer. Uh, David, you might be familiar with him, though I don't know if you've read it. Uh, he initiated the Injustice comic series for DC, okay, um, which is pretty w- well-received. Um, and then Mahmoud Azra, who's been around the Marvel Universe for a while and has worked on the X-Men in the past. Um, I'm trying to think of what he's done most recently. I know he did a few issues at least on Totally Awesome Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they are the creative team. They're launching this book sometime in the future, and that's that's happening. Oh, in February, just uh, BT dubs. So it's happening. Uh, any final thoughts on uh, Gene's team and Namor the Submarinator? <laughs> wow, you are really. I'm I'm holding on. I, I have I have a feeling you're going to make a T-shirt by the end of this episode. Um, Namor, man, underwater Hitler. Uh, that's a. What? How was he underwater Hitler? I don't know. Where did that even come from? It's 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 a joke that I have with my uh, buddy Will when he listens to this show. So hey, Will, we just like to like kind of play up that like we would love to see Namor. Them try to like make a Namor movie because he's really kind of the one that's like, oh, oh, uh, how do we make Namor likable? I don't it's, think you make Namor likable. I think when you try to make Namor likable, you fail. Namor is not supposed to be likable. He's kind of a dick. Yeah, exactly. He's a, yeah, he is an underwater dick. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that the sentence that young Scott says to uh, to Nova is, "My adult self went crazy and died. I'm from the past and stuck in this time." I hate everything about that sentence. That could also have applied to young Jean Grey for a very long time. I think it applies to like the last few years of X Men stories. My older self actually, no, I take it back. It applies to every X-Men story ever. Yeah, so here's what I'm saying about X-Men Red. Good for them. Not going to read it. That's the short version of it. Well, we at least we know where David stands on things like Underwater Hitlers and X-Men books. Um, yep. In other news, and uh, on a more serious note, we won't uh, <laughs> spend too much time on this, but it was announced that DC Comics, or DC Entertainment, uh, has terminated uh, the employment of Eddie Berganza, a longtime DC editor, uh, over allegations of sexual misconduct. Uh, this is also following on a variety, not variety is the wrong word, on a series of of allegations across the entertainment industry as a whole, uh, specifically towards men who have been, you know, misconducting, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you, you know, comport yourself like this and that's how you choose to leverage your influence within the organization that you work for, 
you kind of deserve to get sacked. So yep. not and really a loss. I'm sure it's thrown DC into a bit of a tizzy, but at the end of the day, they're in a better place by having fine. This is the thing. The thing with Eddie Bergans, at least, is the allegations towards him have been circling the industry for years. Yeah, way and now too finally long. probably riding the wave of everything going on, like with um, Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and all the other ones. Uh, DC couldn't exactly ignore this anymore. So it's kind of like maybe too little, too late. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's he's gone. Uh, this is also... Uh, at the same time, sticking with the DC train, as far as these things are concerned, Andrew Kreisberg, who's the executive producer in, or one of the executive producers in the uh, CW Arrowverse sets of shows like Arrow, Flash. Legend he was the Super showrunner Girl. for Flash and Supergirl. For Flash and co-showrunner co of Supergirl. Supergirl. Has, has been suspended, so not terminated yet, also following sexual misconduct allegations. And multiple people involved in the show have spoken out about it, though maybe not addressing him directly, but at least shedding light on the fact that it is something that was present. Uh, and that they're hoping that the uh, productions can sort of course correct in the future and be yeah. places that are accepting and comfortable for everyone. So, again, serious note, but it's good that it's happening and that this is being brought to light. Yeah, this, you know, it, these are stories that have been coming out for years, and it is really unfortunate that it took this long uh, for anything to happen. You know, we're kind of seeing this thing all across Hollywood uh, and like it's moving kind of into other sectors now that these things have been going on for years. People have known about it, but it, there's just kind of this feeling of like, well, that's just kind of how things are. They're all kind of like skeezy, but nah, whatever. We're all just going to move on. So it's good to see action happening. Um, I, you know, I, I am just continually hopeful that, uh, that people will have the, the strength and courage to speak up. Um, and you know, it's, it's really interesting. Somebody did point out that, uh, this is creating a very interesting dialogue kind of about sex in general and, and what is acceptable, what is not, what is forgivable, what is not, you know, cause like, cause the, the guy's point was there was a difference of like, we all got drunk and, you know, at a party and at the end of the night, someone tried to kiss someone else and that was totally uncool. And they, you know, owned up to that, moved on versus, what people like Berganza and Kreisberg are and, you know, Weinstein and, and Kevin Spacey and all these guys are, are, you know, having brought up against them. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting time that I think is going to be very positive in the long run. Um, it just kind of, it sucks that it's been going on for so long. Um, right. So yeah, that's kind of our somber note on the show. We will, uh, kind of bring some levity. And hey, speaking of, uh, you know, empowerment to women, uh, Wonder Woman, who, uh, you know, is kind of the most badass woman in, in the world right now, is having a sequel to her film come out, and that has been moved up to November 1st, 2019. Also on this story, Brett Ratner is no longer a producer on this film. Thank Following God. Following sexual misconduct and the move, you know, is pretty strategically planned because it is moving the uh, the movie from December 13th, 2019, which is one week before Star Wars Episode Nine and Wicked is set to release. Wicked the musical? The, yeah, Wicked the musical. The, the movie movie musical, a, move, a move-sicle. And I'm checking right mm. now. They have not announced a cast for that movie that's allegedly coming out in two years. 
Well, I think they have two years to figure it out. I well, mean, yeah, I mean, that's years, they that... want to start production relatively soon. I mean, they got to start production relatively soon. And if you don't get Dina Menzel, like, what's the point? Fair. That's that is a fair point of no points. Um, yeah. So that's cool for people that love the first Wonder Woman, which I have slowly warmed up to. I did not necessarily enjoy it as an experience the first time around, though. I did rewatch it and found it a lot better. Uh, so who knows where my headspace was at the time that I first saw it. Um, we get it a little bit sooner. So that's kind of a win-win for everyone in the sense that when Warner Brothers release it, they won't be competing with Star Wars. And thus, uh, we'll at least get to make some extra money out before Star Wars blows everyone out of the water. Yeah, um, yeah that's that's pretty much the motivation of, you know, if it came out uh, December 13th, it would have a really great week at the box office and then just get totally demolished. Um, this is not like, this is, people like to, you know, like to think like, oh, this is, and I'm not saying for this film, I'm saying like this kind of stuff happens all the time where release dates get shuffled because people are like, ah, oh, well, you know, these two teams went head to head and they blinked and it's like, uh, no, you know, they, they're, they're, this is a time where, yeah, DC did, or Warner Brothers did blink because the writing's on the wall, Star Wars Episode Nine, the end of the Skywalker saga, potentially, is going to completely demolish everything forever. So yeah, let's go ahead and move our film a couple weeks up. It'll have a couple more weeks, good weeks at the box office. Bada bing, bada boom. Everyone's having a good time. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Well, and another news story, um, the first cast photo of the deadly class TV adaptation has been released. I think I spelled adaptation wrong in the show notes. My bad. Embarrassing for everyone. (sighs) Yeah. Um, just pulling the photo back up in front of me. Uh, David, I know you kind of dropped off the book early yes, on. I um, I'm maybe a volume behind at this point, maybe half a volume. Uh, it's, it is a book that I enjoy. It's very, uh, I guess, inappropriate and visceral. But, you know, it's Rick Remender, who's a writer that I have a lot of respect for. Um, at the end of the day... It, the funny thing is, with for those that can't visualize Deadly Class, like the, the style of the book is very cartoonish. So it's the kind of thing that there's really no one-to-one ratio as far as, like, this character would look absolutely like like this real-life person, to an extent. Um, so looking at this cast photo, it's almost a little unsettling, because on one hand, like, sure, they kind of look like the characters, but also, like, it's just, it's not Wes Craig style. Um, it's also like a photo that looks like it was taken, put through like an Instagram filter, um, but otherwise like isn't necessarily playing up whatever, whatever aesthetics they might utilize on the show itself. So it's more of like a behind the scenes cast photo really than anything that has production value. Mm-hmm. But it is exciting, at least for those like myself that enjoy Deadly Class to see that the adaptation is moving along. And I'll definitely be very curious for when the first trailer slash eventual uh, release of the show drops. Yeah. It's really great to see what is obviously people in their like mid to late twenties or early thirties who are going to be playing teenagers. Uh, yeah, no, it's always yeah. it's always a good thing when people that aren't teenagers get to play teenagers. Like, really, we need to be thinking of those people. Right. No, I, I I'm just I'm looking at this photo and a couple of these guys. I'm like, you are definitely nowhere near your teens. Uh, the cast looks fine. I just I am so lukewarm on deadly class it's not that i hated it it's not that i thought that it was really painfully bad it's just you know it it wasn't great it wasn't terrible it was just so middle of the road that i'm like why am i spending time 
Like if it, was, if it was a book that I truly hated, then it's like at least I at least I feel something. I felt nothing for Deadly Class. You can't feel it on everything, I suppose. Which is is fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't take it personally, even though I take it personal, That's and I'm weird. definitely sad and upset. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm going to for the sake of our friendship, David. I will not let it get to me I as still, much as I want it to. I still take your misguided hate of Wonder Woman personally, so I guess I that balances. Literally out. five seconds ago, said that I have warmed up to the Wonder Woman movie. One movie I will not warm up to, though. For the my, the rest of my life, however short it will probably be, is Days of Future Past. I will know that sh- that movie is dead to me. I ugh, see. I'm gonna I like mean, dead to me in the sense that like I stopped caring about it like a year ago, maybe eight months ago, nine months, nine months ago. I stopped caring about Days of Future Past. It's it's just there. It's in the background. So for the past nine months, you've been carrying a, an apathy baby, and now this is its delivery out onto the world weird but yeah sure no i think that works i don't know you're the one that said nine months uh well something that's going to be happening in less than nine months is that deadpool 2 will be released and we've gotten our very first teaser trailer now teasers are typically uh uh, like a minute less than a minute long uh, some real quick footage kind of a maybe a vague shaping of what this is going to be about but of course shaping i feel like that's not a term that's been used yet but probably probably uh, keep going anyway but this is deadpool we're talking about here it's not going to be your typical teaser it is going to be deadpool dressed as bob ross doing some painting and then a little bit of the a little bit of the movie shown there at the end uh it is what you would expect this to be oh and apparently the title has changed so there's been nothing official yet the title uh, is, or the Deadpool two is now being referred to as the untitled Deadpool sequel. Uh, I thought the trailer was hilarious. It's a good time had by all. The clips look exciting. Definitely looks like they increased the budget a bit. Nick, what do you think of this teaser? Um, I mean, anything involving Bob Ross or relating to Bob Ross is always a pleasure. Um, I mean, it's Deadpool, so it definitely leaned into like sexual innuendos and and all that. Um, drug but beyond use. that, the what? Drug use and and drug use. Yep, heavy drug use. Um, but as far as like you know the the Bob Ross segment, like into the actual clips itself, it's really hard to speak about too much of it. It definitely looks exciting if you enjoyed the first Deadpool movie. Uh, I mean, uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead has hair now. That's yeah, a thing. I'm digging that haircut. And I feel like I, I'd have to go back and watch it because it really does happen so quickly. I know I saw Domino appear briefly, like jumping over something, and I'm sure Cable was in there no, somewhere. No, Cable shows up right at the end when you see the robotic hand. Oh, you don't see like an action you don't shot see of an him, action shot like of... even from far away. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. But uh, you have Deadpool coming out of a casket and other crazy stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we know we're both going to go see it. So mm-hmm. uh, not a whole lot to add there. But, hey, we finally got a teaser trailer. So if, if you guys haven't watched it yet, definitely go check it uh, out. Yeah, and then to... watch uh, Bob Ross on Netflix. Oh, man, the Bob Ross stuff. Like, guys, let's just let's bring it down a moment. If you are like, man, the world is crazy and things seem bananas and I have this impending sense of doom in every day of my life. Guys, watch some Bob Ross because you're going to feel okay after watching that Bob Ross. That is the David guarantee. 
you're going to feel okay. Namor would feel fine after watching some Bob Ross. And marinating something. Oh, boy. I regret bringing Namor back up immediately. (laughs) Let us move on now so we can go ahead and get into our reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, as tradition dictates, I make you go first. So, Nick, go first. Okay, dude. Well, uh, I read and caught up technically as well uh, on the Wild Storm series being written by Warren Ellis and drawn by John Davis Hunt. Uh, The latest issue that came out this week is the Wild Storm number nine. Um, So we'll just get into it. So the rebirth, rebirth. The rebirth of the Wildstorm universe continues with another issue of kind of vague connections and conspiracies. Uh, Jacob Marlowe, who's one of the main characters, is an ancient alien turned Steve Jobs, uh, who brings uh, Angela Spica, the engineer, uh, featured in the Authority book in the pre-The Wildstorm, Wildstorm. Oh, it's already confusing. Cool. Uh, (laughs) Deeper into his Halo Corporation. Uh, I.O., which stands for International Operations Chief Jackie King, uh, who I believe was actually a male character in the original universe. I think Jackson King, but uh, no one gives a shit. Um, Jackie King is playing war games with Skywatch. They'll probably eventually be Stormwatch. Uh, And we're introduced to another player named John, who very well actually may have been introduced in an earlier issue that I've just now forgotten about, but I'm going to pretend that he was, in fact, introduced in this issue, (laughs) uh, who is a fellow ancient alien living on Earth. Um, the highlight of the issue arguably is a nine page action sequence between John in feudal Japan as a samurai and several armed men protecting a carriage. Uh, John Davis Hunt's storyboarding for the fight is tight and intense. Large action shots give way to a series of small panels, panels focusing on expressions and decisive action. It's really well executed. Like I actually went back and read through it a couple of times just to like kind of, cause I was reading it first. And I was like, Oh, wait a second. There was like no words in this thing. <laughs> um, so it's very well done. Uh, definitely will look good on the eventual movie that will never come out. Um, but it's also definitely the kind of experience that in like lesser hands might feel like I just wasted three ninety nine on fluff, like nine pages of no words and just like an endless action sequence can sometimes be like, where's the story. But in this case, they pull it off. Uh, and then towards the end, the sequence jumps to present day John, who's now like wearing suits and enjoying the finer things in life. And through him, we learn a bit more about the hierarchy of the uh, of his uh, alien race uh, and how he has used his time on Earth to rise up in the ranks. Whereas if he were still in his home world, he would be at the bottom of the barrel. So they kind of go through this whole caste system that they're referring to as a Cade, which might actually be a real world that is have not bothered to look up. Um, but basically, and this was presented in the previous issue through this, this alien species that, um, uh, crap, Jacob Marlowe is also a part of in the sense that they basically said, like, think in terms of humanity, like what if, um, like Neanderthals, Cro-Magnons, like all the different variants of humanity continued to evolve together instead of some dying off. That's this alien race. And through that, they've created a caste system where very of these different divergent alien species kind of you know some are higher up and some are lower um but a group of them came to earth sometime in ancient times uh and it's sort of that like i guess mayflower experience or whatever like hey we're in a new world and we're going to you know we we can cast off the old system and start new and ultimately through their advanced technology want to help humanity which is the fluff story that jacob marlowe gives angela um but he also then immediately away from angela Hence that there's definitely more going on with them arriving at Earth than he's letting on. Anyway, um, 
if I had to compare the Wildstorm book to something else, it would probably be Game of Thrones, which I know is like a groan-inducing comparison that everyone loves or want would love to make uh, about anything these days just because it's so popular. But just in the sense that it's this multi-layered story juggling a lot of characters with a lot of agendas and also like not a lot of page real estate to do it. Uh, some characters that feature prominently in the previous issues get maybe a page this time around or do not appear at all. And even when someone isn't featured, though, the weight of the storyline is still felt. Um, so it's not that this book is just like winging it as it goes along or knowing that it's Warren Ellis, he could very well be winging this whole thing, but he's just so good at it that it looks like he has a plan. Um, either way, he's reconstructing the Wildstorm playground piece by piece, and I'm excited to see how the story ultimately pays off. All right, sweet. That is Wildstorm number nine. You can find it wherever you find comic books, which I think uh, in cereal boxes, right? That's where people get comic books. Uh, Cracker Jack boxes. Cracker Jack boxes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, exclu- like they had like Cracker Jack got this whole exclusive like Diamond Publishing's out like Comicsology. They're all gone. That Everyone would wants be to get their comics through Cracker Jack. Insane. You go to the comic book shop. It's just like, hey, what's in my pool list? And they just like hand you six boxes of Cracker Jacks. <laughs> and you have to eat all the Cracker Jacks before you can get to the comic. Yeah, no, it's like in a, it's in a pressure sensitive. It's a whole thing. Uh, anyway, let's talk about what I read this week, which uh, I'm keeping on. Now, as I've explained before, I am doing my very grandiose catch up on all of my uh, stuff I've been backlogged on. I have gotten caught up on Power Rangers, Outcast at this point. Archie is on that list. Copperhead, uh, which we'll be talking about in a little bit here. Um, I don't even remember at this point. I've caught up on like seven or eight different series. Batman, I think, as well. Ba- the Batman, King Batman. Batman uh, was one of them. Um, I need to catch up on Superman still. That That's on my list. I've still got a lot more to read through, but I am I'm getting there. But one thing we're all I'm, we're all proud of you, Dave. Thank you. It's it's a real, real accomplishment. Which, what does that say about my life? Oh boy. Uh, one thing though that I'm not behind on is the metal tie-ins, and this week we're going to talk about another one because I said I was going to keep talking about them as they came out. That is Dark Knight's Batman Who Laughs, written by James Tinney in the fourth. Certainly no stranger here on this podcast. Art by Riley Rosmo, who I've talked about uh, with Batman in the Shadow, also has done a lot of work uh, for DC and on an image and stuff like that. Very accomplished. Um, you've got... So, in this book, we've talked about the Batman who laughs, who is uh, very obviously the Joker Batman. There's all these different... Batman from different corners of the Dark Multiverse, which the Dark Multiverse was created from scenarios that could have gone a lot worse. It's kind of from the the darkest impulses of the superheroes. And uh, Barbados was going around collecting all of the versions of Bruce Wayne uh, who were corrupted in one way or another. And this is the one that was very obviously the Batman who was also the Joker. Uh, so there's a way in which the two kind of get combined and then we see the downfall of Bruce Wayne as he slips into becoming the Batman who laughs, you know, he already kind of crosses that line in killing the Joker and then it just kind of goes, he's, he laughs at an appropriate moment. He realizes what's happening to him. So he, 
he kills the entire Bat family, starts wiping out the Justice League, takes over the Earth. Like, yes, I'm kind of spoiling some things here, but this is a book that I think is kind of more about uh, the experience of it. It is dark. There is really no way around that. It is dark. It is brutal. Uh, it is a bit rough at times to read, but it never feels like it's reveling in or celebrating this character, which I think is very important. They have established very much this is a villain. They are going through this as like, this is the really villainous Bruce Wayne. They're not like, oh, isn't it so cool that he does this stuff? Isn't it like amazing? Is you know. Or, like, look at this violence. Let's be, like, real gritty and be like, this is how, like, horrible stuff mirror of the world. It's like, no, they're they're kind of approaching this with the right level of gravitas. And I've seen also the creator um, responding kind of on Twitter of just like, hey, we really love the response. Thank you, guys. We're surprised people like it because of kind of how messed up it is. And, like, James Tinian, uh, the fourth has been like, I'm surprised people have not you know, men in white coats have not come to take me away after reading this. Uh, Riley Rosmo's art I've really enjoyed in other uh, works as well has this really, really great quality to it that I'm, uh, I don't really know how to explain. Uh, kind of has like these really sharp angles and sharp edges to it that really work for this book. Um, And I don't really like know what more to say aside from like this really is just kind of something that you've got to like dive into and experience. This is the last of the Batman uh, from the lineup. So from here on out, we're going to be uh, we're going to be diving back, I believe, into uh, metal number four, which I don't know if that comes out next week or it's been like delayed, right? Like the series overall has been kind of delayed. Uh no, they've they've kind of been pretty clear in how it's uh like that 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 stuff's kind of gonna be parsed out. Uh, yeah. Let's see, Dark Knight's metal reading order. Uh, and while you're pulling that up, would you like so now you've read all the one shots? We've been introduced to all the Dark Universe Batman. Mm-hmm. Out of out of these one shots, at least two two full question. Out of all the one shots, what one shot did you enjoy the most? And slash, regardless of the quality of the one shot, which uh, alternate Batman do you find the most interesting? Uh, that's a little diff. Oh, that's a that's a good question. So I have the list up here. Um, Dark Knight's Metal Number Four comes out December twentieth. I don't. So it's not coming out next week. It's going to be about a month. Um, Looking, so I'm looking at the list here to remind myself. Uh, let's see the Devastator, the Merciless, the Drowned. Um, gosh, I wish I had all of them around me right now because I can't fully remember all of them just based off of their names. Um, I really, really liked Murder Machine. I thought Murder Machine was really interesting. Uh, I can tell you my least favorite for sure, at least the story-wise, was Drowned. The Drowned, just not anything there. It was all exposition and and really kind of disappointing in that way. Uh, I liked Batman the Devastator, which uh, was the the Ares Batman. 
I think probably uh, my favorite man. This is such a. This is actually a really tough question. Uh, now that I'm confronted with it, and interesting, the ones that I like the most were both written by Frank uh, Thierry, I believe is how you pronounce the name. Uh, so I think there's. Some, I, I have. A, I have a, something for that guy's writing. I think I'm gonna go with the Devastator, the the Ares Batman. I th- there's. Just something really kind of interesting about uh, about like the the war that gets amplified inside of him, and you know they, there's ones that are interesting in their own way. Like the Red Death wasn't my favorite, but the design of the Red Death is kind of really amazing. Uh, I thought like the Merciless was just okay. Dawnbreaker was just okay. Um, yeah, man, this is a really tough question. Uh, that's fine if you've so, kind of yeah, given your I, I think it's it's somewhere between, and this is kind of just based purely on the strength of their tie-ins, uh, is Murder Machine or, or no, wait, Devastator is, um, I think the Devastator is the Superman one. Dev- Devastator is the Superman, Superman one, okay, so and then Mer- the Merciless, Merciless, I believe, is sorry. Ares. Yeah, Merciless was the Ares one. So yeah, so it's uh, it's a for me, it's a tie between those two. I think the Murder Machine and the Merciless, kind of because they're also the ones that, like, I get, I can, I could see this Bruce Wayne really easily doing what happened, and the other ones, I think, there's a little bit more of a stretch. And I know that's kind of supposed to be the point of like it's them stretching out and. Uh, Batman Who Laughs, also really awesome, really well done. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with a, a, for me it's a tie between the Murder Machine and the Merciless. Sounds good, man. You've made it to a long, and there's, long road fraught with danger. Well, and, and I I haven't read the tie-ins, the tie-ins that uh, have been like the other, in, like all the other tie-ins, yeah, like the like, Justice League and, multi-title crossover tie-ins. And, yeah, I haven't read those yet. I'm going to. I'm gonna wait till they're collected, though. You are full on committed to this. I Batman love metal. I want to get really drunk and wake up in Vegas married to metal. Yeah. I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, so we will move on. I think it's a good. I mean, segue. have you seen and have you seen all the stuff that's coming out of metal as well? Like all the uh, all the new DC new... Age of Heroes, new Age of DC Heroes, something new about Ages and DC. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Originally, it was supposed to be the Dark Matter line of books that's more heavily focused on artists than writers, and then they rebranded as like the Age New Age of DC Heroes or something. It's all kind of folded it's, in together. New, I mean, New Age of Heroes. There's some real strong talent. Coming with that, I mean, you got you know, uh, Jim Lee is going to be on a book for all of two minutes, I imagine. John Romita Jr. You, know, you got Scott Snyder, Dan DiDio, Jeff Lemire, Steve Orlando, Doc Shaner. Huh, 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 huh? I mean, I don't think they necessarily right. need to brand it as its like own individual line. I think they, if they want to give more presence and more, what's the word I'm looking for? Responsibility is kind of the word I'm looking for, but not necessarily. Like they want to shed more light on the artists that clearly put a lot of like heart and soul into designing these books. They should just do that as a general principle across their entire line. Well, you heard uh, you heard kind of the way that DC is going to be approaching. Like it's going to be artist focused for a while, the way that Marvel used to do it. Right, and the th- I mean, here's the thing with artist focus though. Like artists deserve a huge boatload of credit. They are they are Absolutely. juggling so many. I mean the 
like yes, your comic writer can write a script, but at the end of the day, it's not a comic book until it's turned into, until it's created, you know, turned into a it's piece a of It's a visual art. medium. So it's like artists always need to the credit where they're due. But like, if if the artist wants to write and draw their own work, that's cool too. Too, there's some great writer artist combos out there. Um, but it's it shouldn't just, it really shouldn't just be that there's more focus on the writer, more focus on the artist. It should just be that there's an equal focus on the whole creative process, and that as long as you're making a quality comic book that's worth the money, then then great, then everyone's happy. It doesn't need to become a brand or like an initiative. The initiative should be your company I, policy. Right. Well, I feel like I feel like the the artist focus thing is super awesome. I think though it should also be dependent on how the team melds together. Like if you have a group that comes together, it's like okay, we really want to do the artist. For people who don't know the artist focus, it is where the writer kind of comes with here's the story of the issue. The artist then draws it out, and the writer then goes in and draws dialogue to fill in, or to not they don't draw dialogue, they write the dialogue to fill in, you know, what has happened artistically. So it's, consider the Marvel method and old nomenclature. Did I use the word nomenclature right? No, it's nomenclature. Uh, yeah. It's it's fine. I'm not judging you out loud, um, but I think that's it should really be dependent on like if the team comes together and that's what they want to go with. Great, but making uh, making it mandated, I feel like you gotta let the the team find their stride. But right, right. The at the end of the day, like we think of the peanut butter and chocolate combos, like Rick Remender and Jerome Pena or Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, um, you know, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleave, you know, or Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Like these are guys that, like when they when they get together, they make magic. And a lot of times now in both Marvel and DC, with like double shipping and, and weekly series and all that, you have it where like artists are coming in for like two, three, four issues maybe, and then another artist is being rotated in. So you're not getting a lot of consistent identities on any of the books we're reading. And I feel like if Marvel and DC and Marvel kind of moved back in that direction, and I realize that the production of comic books in many ways has changed since other artists, but, but why are you don't get that out of my face, out of my face. Thank you. Um, you know, I think that, would be my preference so that we get more peanut butter and chocolate. Also, I really want peanut butter and chocolate right yeah, now, but I digress. Got a weird hunger thing going on here. Uh, I went to the gym earlier. Now you're showing me the inside of the book. That is very creepy. Uh, moving on. Uh, Dave and I are now going to jointly discuss the latest volume of Copperhead. That latest volume, latest issue. And latest issue. Uh, just basically the last several issues that have come out because we haven't talked about it in a while. It's definitely a fan favorite on this show, mm-hmm. us being the fans. Um, yeah. For those who don't remember, Copperhead is written by Jay Farber and currently now drawn by Drew Moss, originally drawn by Scott Kotaleski, who's the co-creator. Uh, and we, they just recently wrapped up volume three not that long ago. And then the most recent issue uh, came out at number uh, 16, 15? Uh, I, don't, I don't have it in front of me. I have it. I oh, it no. Work. Oh, no. But anyway, it's a sci-fi Western book uh, that centers around a newly instated sheriff uh, in the uh, city of Copperhead on the planet Jasper. Um, and even though like it has a lot of sci-fi trappings as far as like people wear spacesuits and there's aliens and all that stuff, the, the approach to the book is that they're playing it as a straight Western. So like, you know, they deal with the murder of this and so-and-so when the... Cops and robbers kind of approach to old westerns, but again, all set in a uh, sci-fi space setting. Uh, Dave, why don't you catch us up a little bit on some of the more recent events, including the most recent issue? All right. So I'm having a 
problem remembering some of the uh, the characters' names, which let's see if I can stall long enough to pull up a reference guide for that. Uh, Sheriff Bronson, Sheriff Bronson, Boo, Boo uh, yep. Hickory. So okay, so, yeah. So Sheriff Bronson has been the sheriff for a little bit now, and has really kind of had some pushback from some of the other big wigs in town who don't really like her because she's you know no nonsense she's not gonna she's not gonna play their games so they have uh they have elevated boo who was the deputy into the role of mayor acting mayor acting mayor uh because the mayor has been murdered and while the sheriff's trying to figure that out they have boo acting as mayor and they, you know, you kind of see the plot forming over time of they wanted to have him come in as mayor because he would appear incompetent and they could possibly control him and, and get their, their will done. Uh, but that also seems to not be exactly going their way. Uh, Sheriff Bronson ends up solving the murder and in doing so gets attacked by the killer, which is a really weird assassin who has slug babies. Uh who doesn't? Yep, they get into a fight, and when the fight is over, Clara is then jumped by her ex-husband and the who is a uh, in prison and has escaped prison to find her, and uh, her ex-husband's new girlfriend, who is also a bitch. Uh, just gonna go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, they've taken her, and now the people of the town of Copperhead are trying to find out what happened to the sheriff. And that's kind of where things are set up for this latest issue. And this is kind of their investigation with the big bombshell drop there right at the end. Right, right. Um, so before we get to that cliffhanger, David, um, how are you feeling about, because Grant, with Volume 3 and now the latest issue, Drew Moss has been on the book for uh, several issues now, being the new artist of the series. Uh, how do you feel he's settled in to the overall team? I think that uh, he's doing a great job. You know, it, it's kind of disappointing when you, especially in these creator-owned books, um, when you have an artist leave, uh, you know, because they, they really do develop this this very particular style. You know, it's not it's not like Batman or Spider-Man where we're used to seeing them drawn a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, the, you really kind of foster, you kind of grow, foster a love for the way that these characters look and you, you get to know it, uh, you get, you, you get to learn their faces. So when someone else comes in, you kind of have this moment of like, ah, well, are they going to, are they going to draw boo? Right. Especially something like this with aliens. Like, are they going to draw boo? Right. Are they going to, are they going to draw the weird races of aliens all correct? Uh, but I think that Drew Moss has really done a great job of, uh, of adapting to the this world while rate retaining their own style yeah i would i would agree to a certain extent drew moss has definitely picked up the baton uh and there's definitely like i i haven't really looked at moss's artwork prior to this book to see if he's adapted to a certain degree to like what scott godaleski's artwork looks like um but he definitely um is is drawing in the spirit of godaleski's style uh, at the same time, well, there are some panels that I don't really want to say that they're rushed per se, because it could just be personal personal aesthetic. Um, but not every panel really shines the way that like I I really enjoyed from Godaleski. Um, but then there's like just this this panel here that's this like splash page there where Drew just hits it out of the park. So mm-hmm. um, 
you know, again, like you said, it's it's tough with creator-owned books when when the initial creative vision doesn't necessarily hold true because then it kind of feels like it more wades into the waters of like corporate comics like Marvel and DC, um, which have their own merits and disadvantages uh, or demerits. Um, but yeah, I, at the end of the day, I guess we're just glad that Copperhead's back in some semi-regular form. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that cliffhanger. On one hand, I I guess I never really thought of it, and it's but it now like makes sense i guess uh long story short we find out at the end of the most recent issue of copperhead that the uh that uh sheriff bronson's son zeke that's been with her since the first issue is in fact not her son of course that's all we know now uh david what are your thoughts it's an interesting time i think this is the appropriate time for the revelation to come up um it's just kind of funny to for them to drop it as this big cliffhanger to kind of hang things up on uh, for the next two issues. I'm curious to see how it's going to relate to the bigger story because most of the time it would just be, it would be a cool revelation, but I don't think it would ever be delivered so dramatically. I mean, I can see why it's dramatic because at the at this point in the story, like we thought Zeke was Clara's, you know, Sheriff Bronson's son. Um, that they were clearly trying to get away from the, the limelight, so to speak, with Clay, Zeke's father, being in prison. Um, but now it's if Zeke isn't her son, then who is he to Clara? Is is she it's, like it's, his aunt? Oh, is, it's still did her. Did she steal him? I no. She's law, she's law enforcement. Like she. Law, okay. Law enforcement are totally capable of doing yes, yes, but she would not be like in a position that is you know monitor. If she's like trying to hide out after stealing a kid, she's gonna go become a sheriff. On a backwater planet, I think it's on the fringes. Wasn't it also implied that she like worked in law enforcement before? Like, she's doing a terrible job of hiding if she's working in law enforcement. Anyway, she didn't steal the kid. I think it is still her son. Like, yeah, it's not her biological son, but with everything we've been shown, like, she has raised this kid at least for a good chunk of time. Maybe he refers to her as, as, as mom. Her, his mother. So maybe Zeke doesn't know what's going on, but mm. I don't get the sense at any point that, like, she doesn't love it. Like, it's, it's still her son. Oh, yeah. And she definitely I, cares about him. Yeah, and I, it's probably going to be something about the the dad... I don't know. I yeah, I am really curious of whose son is it biologically then. But I also don't feel any less like I've been lied to this entire time because it's still her son. That yeah, no, no, change. I don't. It's definitely not a cliffhanger that just comes out of the blue and doesn't make any sense per se. Like the book's been teasing her relationship with Clay, the Zeke's father, and like that this this whole mystery surrounding why they came to Copperhead. I think all surrounding that. So this is just one more reveal regarding that overall puzzle yeah but i'm just saying like it it, most other times if it wasn't for like this arc kind of having a focus on store or uh on family it would just kind of like come up like it would come up in like a scene where she's like oh well you know he's not really my son but you know i've been raising him because i i found him uh nearly eaten by a larva beast of of blackie on 10 or something like that like it, it would just it, description. It, it would just be like a, a it would come up 
get expressed and then we'd all kind of be like okay cool that's that's part of the tapestry but i feel like with it being revealed so dramatically that it's got to have a bigger story element Hmm. i think that's fair any uh other thoughts david on copperhead so far uh i'm glad that it's back i am curious to see with with all creator owned things the longevity of these books and this is one too that hasn't really set up any sort of big long game yet you know birthright has this whole war that's kind of impending of coming to earth um you have uh like rumble has this whole thing of like of this you know of rathrak trying to get his body back and also these demon monsters that kind of live on earth like there's sort of like kind of these senses of like there's something bigger going on here copperhead has had some really tightly contained stories but it's mostly just been like they came to this backwater planet and she's trying to be the sheriff so i'll be curious to see uh if at some point in the next couple like couple of arcs if we're going to get the big story or if it's just like we're going to kind of tell just the story of their lives here for the next however many issues until that's the end yeah it's it's hard to say what the the long game is for copperhead like on one hand i felt i thought the whole thing with you know her quote-unquote ex-husband or whoever clay the you know was kind of like one of the big set pieces that it was moving to which you know it clearly has been we did reveal find out in the last couple of issues about what hickory uh has they're doing something in the mines with other big wigs in copperhead that i think probably won't play as much into this current arc but maybe will be what's the setup for the next arc yeah um i feel like there's something there it's just we're not to it yet seems fair seems fair yeah cool well, I think we would both say that people should be checking out Copperhead. And now as we're winding down, we're going to go ahead and ask ourselves a very important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Absolutely, we are nerds. And we like to recommend nerdy things. Nick, why don't you go ahead and recommend a book that you've recommended three times before? I don't think I have. But um, so I've reviewed issues of Low here or there, Low by Rick Remender and Greg Tocchini, uh on the show, but I don't think I've ever presented it as a recommendation. I, I guarantee you. Have. I don't know if I've done it in the recommendation slot. Uh, you have anyway. Which you know, you can look it up in the background. Either way, I'm recommending it again because a lot more of the book has come out. We have a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, for those that don't remember or don't know. Uh, Lowe is a thought experiment by Remender, a writer who has been very open about his struggles regarding positive thinking. Um, and the experiment is basically how do you how do you find hope or how do you hope in the face of unrelenting, oppressive doom, despair, all that? Uh, Lowe takes place in a future where the sun's expansion has caused the Earth's surface to be an irradiated wasteland. Humans now live in underwater cities. Uh, before descending to, with those cities, though, into the depths of the ocean, they sent probes into deep space in hopes of finding a new habitable world. The underwater cities also double as interstellar spaceships should a planet ever be found. That was a millennia ago. The cities are now falling, sorry, failing, and humanity, humanity is on the precipice of disaster. Is all hope lost? Uh, it turns out that a probe has returned to Earth, Earth, Earth ugh, 
with coordinates to a new world, and Stel Kane, the matriarch of the Kane family, who are also the protectors of the underwater city of Salus, discovers the probe is returned and will stop at nothing to retrieve it, even if it means returning to the irradiated surface. Really, that description only scratches the the surface. Like that's we're talking arc one here. We're now up past arc four, uh, with the next arc starting sometime in early 2018. I know they're taking a bit of an extended break, which gives everyone plenty of time to read through all of the current issues. Uh, the story takes many twists and turns in its first four volumes, and honestly, after the end of the latest issue, I honestly can say I have no idea where this is going to go. It's a dark and visceral book that does not necessarily paint humanity in the greatest light, but at the same time, it highlights that ultimately what we make of the world around us, however die, is up to us. Uh, I also can't say enough about Greg Tuccini's surreal art style. It makes this unbelievable story work. The landscapes, the architecture the people it's truly a book set in a future that is hard to picture and when the story calls for your heartstrings to be pulled or your gut to get punched the chain delivers so if you haven't checked this out this book yet i highly recommend it it's one of the few books that have caused me to write a letter in which i rarely rarely ever do that was also subsequently published in one of the issues so i might be biased but i recommend low by recommender and greg Tuccini. very cool well, for my recommendation this week, I totally had something that I have lost track of that I was going to recommend. This is rather disappointing. So let me, I'm just kind of looking through what I've got here. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I do want to still recommend it. I'm very much enjoying uh, what I have read so far, and that is Dead Inside uh, by John Arcudi, uh, who little little hint here for some people uh not a hint just a teaser um i got to interview john arcudi for the show and we're going to be releasing that uh as part of our break next week uh dead inside is a a story about a murder inside a prison uh it is very intriguing um there's a lot of questions and stuff I don't want to spoil just because I think it's it's a book that you're really gonna to want to like kind of dig into and and experience. Uh, John Arcudi is really great at characters and that really shines through here as well. Uh, the art by uh, I'm gonna to totally butcher this name, Tony Fezula or Fezula is just a, amazing at parts. Uh, it is yeah. It's it's really interesting, really intriguing. It's a little bit of, you know, kind of a crime, thriller, drama stuff going on. Uh, people should definitely, definitely check it out. Um, I picked it up on Comixology. I think the whole thing, it, it was only five or six issues. The whole thing collected is only like eight or nine bucks. Uh, so really not not expensive at all to pick up, and it's a good read. I think that's going to do it for our show. Next week, we will be releasing the interview with John Arcudi as well as releasing uh, our discussion on Justice League. Uh, so look forward to that. You can find more about the show by heading over to heckyeahcomics.com. You can also email us at any time, heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me around the internet at davluz that is d-a-v-l-u-z so twitter snapchat instagram find me there you can find nick just i guess marinating stuff because he's obsessed with that now 
Uh, also, I want to point out that I have not actually recommended Low as an official recommendation before. So you how do you how you sucking. can't how do you know that? I went back to I went to our website and I searched Low and I went for every episode that it was referenced in and it's not listed as a recommendation on any of them. Okay, here's the thing: not all of them have the recommendations listed. So that sounds like a you problem because nope. you put the site together. It's a you problem. Anyway, you can of course find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.